The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome again, everyone. And uh, today I'm going to offer some reflections that include a little bit of a recap of the topic we were exploring last week. And then we'll continue the exploration. And for some of you may be currently taking the Eightfold Path program as well. And my hope is that if you're in that program, this serves as a a review that may stimulate some new uh, reflections or recognitions. So last week we were talking about one of the Buddha's very inspiring teachings that helps us benefit from our meditation and our daily life practice and move towards freedom. Uh, the Buddha offered guidelines for skillful practice, which is often translated as right effort. So skillful practice begins with noticing the arising of unwholesome states. And then over time, learning to prevent them. By the way, this is a really crucial uh, part of our practice for most of us, for a long time. We have to thoroughly diagnose and understand what causes dissatisfaction, stress, and suffering before it can be healed. As Sayadaw Utejaniya writes, get to know the defilements that arise in your mind. Observe and try to understand them. Do not attach to them, reject, or ignore them. And do not identify with them. As you stop attaching to or identifying with the defilements, their strength will slowly diminish. So that's interesting. Identification with them strengthens them. But if we don't identify, it slowly diminishes. So he finishes with, you have to keep double checking to see what attitude you're meditating with. So this is a pointer, too, that sometimes it's our attitude towards what's arising. You know, the unwholesome is there, but what's arising is uh, an attitude that wants to do something about that. So we don't have to force the mind uh, to, when we notice an attitude or when we notice a hindrance, there's no need um, to force the mind excuse me, to be any particular way. We don't have to try to be a good Buddhist. (laughs) Instead, we simply receive what's most obvious that's present in the mind. That's the encouragement in our meditations. And we can notice when an unwholesome state arises or when a hindrance is present. And, And in that way, we get acquainted with how greed, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness, and doubt, the five hindrances, how they come up and how they contribute to suffering. And then, as Sayadaw mentioned, we can also notice when an attitude about a hindrance adds to the stress or the dissatisfaction. So, for example, maybe you notice the mind is full of distractions when you sit down to meditation sometimes. And you keep getting caught, for example, in planning all the things you need to get done. 
that's that distraction is a hindrance. You recognize, oh, the hindrance of restlessness is present. Every time awareness comes back to the present moment and you're aware, oh, the mind was caught in restlessness, you're conditioning wholesome awareness. So that recognition, that awareness, that's wholesome. And over time, the unwholesome habit of restlessness, just by being named and being recognized as how it manifests, planning, may let go more and more. You might also become aware that there's an attitude with it. So you might think, oh, no, I've got to get rid of this restlessness. I can't be meditating here with this, all this restlessness. So that points to the need to explore a little more about the wanting to push it away and maybe to see it in different ways, understand it in different ways um, before we can see the conditions that create aversion and restlessness and can turn towards wholesome thoughts or wholesome habits. So for example, you know, if you're running around all day and um, you're doing 10 million tasks, multitasking like crazy, and then you sit down to meditate, it's not surprising that restlessness would arise. Or um, if you have uh, not had enough sleep the night before, it's not surprising that sleepiness occurs. Um, there are things that precede the arising of a hindrance that we can be aware of. And by seeing that, we can learn to be more compassionate towards these hindrances, how they're natural human tendencies. So it's a natural human tendency or conditioned tendency to not want what we don't like, to want what we like, and, you know, to be confused sometimes. So compassion might arise about the tendency of the mind to plan or to run around and do a lot of things. Exploration and uh, are just allowing this to arise and allowing ourselves to look at it and then compassion to come up about it are all wholesome states to which the mind can then turn when restlessness and aversion arise. So through awareness itself, an unwholesome state may loosen up and let go. And as we notice and explore what's underneath unwholesome states, the conditions that preceded them, we start to be able to see them coming and then make wholesome choices instead. So that's a little recap of what we talked about last week. Today, I'd like to share some more reflections about the second half of skillful practice. And that's, you know, we've touched into that. It's arousing and maintaining wholesome states. So how do we do that? Um, first, it's a real wake-up call to recognize that at every moment we're either conditioning more suffering and stress or we're moving towards freedom from suffering. So this wholesome-unwholesome viewpoint is really powerful because either more suffering, less suffering. So we're either consciously or unconsciously uh, choosing wholesome or unwholesome mental states and actions. We then always get to experience the consequences of our choices. Even when we're not aware we've made a choice. And, but we, we certainly notice consequences. 
Um, but our experience is being shaped according to choices or um, leanings towards unwholesome or wholesome. And by the way, that's not to say it's only our decisions or choices that shape our experience. We inherit inherit the consequences of the actions of our parents, families, ancestors. They made choices that we inherit. And our culture is making choices, or there are many choices being made in the culture we live in, locally, nationally, globally. Those all were the heirs of all of that as well. But when it comes to Dharma practice, we're focused on where we can liberate our own minds. Even in the face of all those causes and conditions around the world, it's the impact on this mind that we're working with. So you, you've you actually known this already when you've noticed maybe that your day goes better if you do a daily meditation. Has anybody noticed that? <laughs> yeah. So opportunities present themselves just through that for cultivating wholesome states. Um, there are many other simple ways to begin cultivating wholesome states that you're probably already doing. Maybe you've already noticed some wholesome states as the effort you put into awareness starts changing your inner life and your relationships in a positive direction. I'm guessing that in some way your inner life is feels richer or calmer or something about it feels better. And that perhaps at least one relationship, the relationship with yourself may be improving or the relationship with others in your life. So you're cultivating wholesome states of mind as you do that. That's part of skillful practice. And a useful way to cultivate these wholesome mental states is part by recalling memories of times that you applied what you learned in practice and in Dharma talks in good ways in your life, and you remember how good that felt. Like, I'll never forget, <laughs> after watching a certain certain pattern between myself and my husband for years, my first years of meditation, watching it for a while, one day I was like, oh, it's gone. <laughs> it was so nice to recognize that it was gone. So remembering how good that feels enhances, reinforces wholesome states. And of course, not just memories, but noticing in the present moment, these wholesome states, as I was encouraging us to do in meditation, any pleasant state, wholesome state while you're meditating or while you're walking about your daily life. And if you, if you do an act of kindness, if you feel some compassion towards someone, anything that you do is also a way or anything that you feel or think in a wholesome direction um, during the present moment is a way to cultivate it further. So you're doing it right now. You're practicing with mindfulness on a Tuesday morning. Now, it may just feel like you're engaging in one of your interests more than you're making any effort, but by participating in these sessions, you're helping yourself experience wholesome mental states. You're supporting other people. You're you're engaging in a Dharma discussion. You're spending time with the qualities of interest and curiosity to some degree. So those are all great. One of the best ways to arouse wholesome states is is this cultivation of awareness, mindfulness. You come back to it, you come back to it, you come back to it throughout the day. Every time you 
you, you know, feel that nice return of awareness and just land on a little, ah, awareness is back. <laughs> that um, helps you and it kicks the whole process off because it helps you notice when the, a skillful state's here, when an unskillful state is here. And when you keep noticing mindfulness or awareness diligently, actually insights arise on their own. And I'm guessing most of you have had that happen too. Suddenly an aha moment. Oh, that's what, how this came to be. Oh, that's what I'm doing that's making this go better or not go so well. <clears throat> and of course, keep practicing the four foundations of mindfulness as they arise are present and past. Now, um, does, is anybody here not familiar with the four foundations of mindfulness? Raise your hand if you're not. Okay. That's fine. I'll, I'll say what they are. And I'll, by the way, I'll say there are several things I'll talk about today that, um, just allow the words to be received and I'll type some of them in the chat so that later when it's appropriate for you, you can look them up, you can study them further. But these four foundations are anytime you're aware of the breath, the body, feeling, you know, pleasant, unpleasant, neither, or even emotions, states of mind, states of mind examples are foggy, clear, focused, scattered, calm, <laughs> agitated, those are states of mind. And finally, what are called the Dhammas. So the Dhammas are ways that the Buddha described the workings of the human mind with respect to this, you know, finding the ending of stress and suffering. So the Dhammas include other subcategories that are thought to be very useful for noticing the wholesome and cultivating the wholesome. So I'll name another couple, uh, the Eightfold Path and the Seven Factors of Awakening. So in a moment, I'll type all those into the chat box. But anytime you're aware of um, these factors, the breath, the body, feeling, states of mind, or any of these dhammas, and um, even times off the cushion that you're reflecting on the teachings that you learn in meditation sessions where there's a talk or there's some reflection. These keep your practice developing and your mind starts to unfold. Maybe you've noticed this too in the direction of serenity. So have any of you raise your hand if you've noticed at least some serenity at some times on the cushion, sometimes off the cushion. Yeah. Great. We've all had a little bit of serenity, maybe a lot of serenity. Actually, that's uh, Ibiku Bodhi, uh, this revered Western monk who translated so many of the suttas for us, um, says that one of the ways to arouse these wholesome states are to develop serenity and insight. So I just mentioned by sticking with the four foundations, by uh, allowing your practice to develop and unfold, reflecting on it, serenity and insight happen. So that's a great beginning. He also mentions the four foundations of mindfulness. And then he specifically points to these two uh, areas, these two dhammas that are particularly helpful. The, 
eight factors of the Eightfold Path and the seven factors of awakening. So I'm typing those into the chat and sending those so that anybody who's not familiar with those can have a chance to uh, look those up. And I'll give you some ways to do that. Um, They are rich areas of exploration. And they're available to you to explore over time. There's no rush here. There's loads of information in them. Um, And as I said, if you're new to any of this today, just allow what I'm sharing to kind of wash over you. You don't need to try to hang on to anything. Um, Even if this were nothing more for you than a simple introduction to to realizing wholesome and unwholesome, that's plenty (laughs) to work with um, as you go through your daily life and as you meditate. Um, So often when you listen to a Dharma talk, whatever sticks is what is what you're ready to work with. So um, there are a ton of resources to know about that would help you explore the topics I've been mentioning. So there's a, a resource you may be aware of called audiodharma.org, and that has a bunch of different series that Gil Fronstall has taught. So he's taught a series on the four foundations of mindfulness. And um, they, if you type the word Satipatthana, which I'm about to put in the chat box, into the search field on audio, audiodharma, you'll find 71, well, there'll be more than this, but 71 brief uh, Dharma talks that he gave last year, along with 71 guided meditations on the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the sutta from which we get the four foundations of mindfulness. So these are a fantastic support for practice. You could take, you know, months out of this year or a period of years to listen to those and explore them, and it would really be a wonderful support to practice. Also, each year, IMC offers longer monthly courses in the Eightfold Path. So there's a nine-month class in the Eightfold Path almost every year, and most years there is a Seven Factors of Awakening class. So you can type those words into the search field on Audio Dharma, and again, a ton of talks will come up that introduce each of them and delve into them factor by factor. And then usually the sign-up for the courses, the Eightfold Path comes in the mid to late summer, the sign-up, and the Seven Factors of Awakening may come then or it may come um, in the fall for a winter class. So. That said, you may already be practicing with the Eightfold Path Factors in meditation and daily life just through talks that you've heard and teachings you've attended. So if you've attended a talk about the Four Noble Truths, you know this idea, there is suffering, there's a cause of suffering, there's an end to suffering, and the Eightfold Path is the way to the end. If you've been exposed to this, you may have started to notice, I think all of you have probably noticed, when stress, suffering, and dissatisfaction come up for you. You're practicing with the first factor of the Four Noble Truths, and you're practicing with right view on the Eightfold Path. Or you've attended talks about wise speech, maybe, and you now make an effort to speak things that are truthful, timely, kind, useful, 
Maybe you've learned to refrain from gossip. You've started to realize that's not so helpful. You're already engaged with the Eightfold Path Factor of Right Speech. And so most talks, most Dharma talks, maybe all Dharma talks, pertain to one of the Eightfold Path Factors in one way or another. Um, so these are ways to arouse wholesome states. Mindfulness, um, which is, I'm, I'm using the word awareness synonymously with mindfulness, um, is also the, but mindfulness is the first factor of another of the primary ways to cultivate wholesome states, which is the seven factors of awakening. So the seven factors are mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. They're called the awakening factors because they both unfold towards awakening and they also constitute awakening. So like the Eightfold Path, if you were a fully enlightened being, you'd just be living the Eightfold Path. You'd be living the seven factors of awakening. If you're not a fully awakened being yet, like me, you're working on it. <laughs> so to briefly to review each of those, mindfulness or awareness is this capacity um, to be, to pay attention here and now to everything that's seen, heard, felt, smelled, tasted, and thought, the six senses, along with the way the mind interprets them and maybe has an attitude towards them. So, it's those through those things that we construct clinging, the cause of suffering, clinging, or we experience them in ways that are free of stress, suffering, and dissatisfaction. We can smell something, taste something, not cling to it. Think something, not cling to it. Free of suffering. Investigation is this process set in motion by curiosity, where we're actively looking into the characteristics, conditions, consequences of phenomena. So in this case, we might be kind of analyzing, dissecting experience into more fundamental pieces. What's actually felt and known rather than our ideas. A great example is if you're sitting on the cushion and you're experiencing pain, it's possible to bring awareness to that those sensations. And I, I've done this before and asked myself, what is this exactly? Is this pulling, stretching? Is it intermittent or is it steady? Is it rising and falling? Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? Just on a feeling basis, I'm, I'm probing that way. And sometimes as you do that, the the pain concept will dissolve and you'll be experiencing strong sensation. So I became aware that some strong sensation that I would um, have a reaction to when I was on retreat that would be pain in the back would come down to, with investigation, come down to almost like an on-off switch, on-off, 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 some kind of pulsing sensation. So investigation can work on that kind of micro level or on a much bigger level to explore something going on in your life. And those two initial factors of mindfulness and investigation and all the factors that follow require the next factor, which is energy. This process of awareness 
and investigation, interest and perseverance actually release or enable us to have more energy. They create a forward momentum in our practice. It can then unfold into what's called joy or rapture, another factor of awakening. And it's a very specific experience um, or set of experiences when your interest in the in what you're aware of through meditation becomes pleasurable or attains a kind of intensity. You'll come to know it when it happens and experiences of it vary a lot. Some find it very pleasurable. That's why I guess it's translated joy. For others, it can feel like a big wave of energy. And um, for others, it may not be pleasurable. Um, BQ Bodhi describes an excitation verging on restlessness. I've experienced that one a lot. It's not pleasurable, but the way I describe it is more with the words rapt attention. My attention can't be pulled away or doesn't want to be pulled away. It's really right there. So it's rapt attention. So as quietness arrives after or during this experience of joy or rapture, the factor of tranquility has arrived. That ripens into the next factor, which is sometimes called concentration, and is basically a very settled or unified quality of mind. And from there, the seventh factor of awakening, equanimity, arises. And that's a kind of balance. We're neither suffering from excitement nor inertia. Um, there's no longer a need to push forward, push, 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 nor are we holding back or, you know, being too so relaxed that we're lazy. <laughs> In some sense, we watch experience pass through our life without attachment, without any flap. So these seven factors are a description of what happens naturally as we continue to practice awareness with right view. We're grounded in this noticing suffering, the end of suffering, and we have enough information about how to practice effectively. You know, we have to understand what we're doing here. And we're able to reflect on and understand these teachings. You know, what I've said today, anything that you read, and we make discoveries um, through our own direct experience and connect them like, oh, okay, I see. That's what tranquility is or that's what investigation is so engagement in these seven factors powerfully cultivates a wholesome mind so talked a bit here about how to arouse wholesome states you know awareness itself memories and recollections being present with wholesome states as they come up these kinds of reinforcements then practicing with the Eightfold Path Factors, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Seven Factors of Awakening, these all help arouse wholesome states. So how do we maintain them if they're already here? And one really basic way that may elude, it eluded me for a while, is just enjoying it, (laughs) recognizing it, appreciating it. This tends to grow and mature wholesome states. If you remain present for them, you, you know, continue to renew your awareness or your attention to them, they may develop into deeper states. And when you recognize and appreciate 
uh, the presence of the seven factors of awakening, that's what happens. They stabilize, they gradually increase in strength. Um, one of the key points is this renewing of your attention. Just keep coming back to awareness throughout the day, throughout the meditation. So, for example, if you feel kindness arise, notice it. Compassion arise, great. Take on, it, it's enjoyable to kind of pick one wholesome state each day, especially one that's come up. And just keep it in mind. See it arise, cultivated throughout the day. So let's say you get up from your morning meditation feeling especially calm. Um, you could keep that feeling in your body as you go about your day. Maybe you get behind the wheel and start to drive and you're feeling calm. And feeling calm, you allow enough following distance from the car in front of you. You don't need to rush right up to it. You feel some compassion and you back off the accelerator when somebody tries to cut in the lane in front of you. <laughs> you know, these are ways you cultivate it. And it's so important to notice what supports a wholesome state that you want to maintain. So let's say you're cultivating equanimity. What supports it? Let's say you recognize that you're more equanimous and calm if you have an uninterrupted block of time to help yourself get something done that's important for you. So you might take practical steps to support having an uninterrupted block of time. You know, you might look at days of time that will work or won't work, what you can can or can't do. You might decide not to check emails or voicemails for that chunk of time. Or you might recognize a time of day that is definitely ideal. Maybe you have some quiet early in the morning, but forget trying it in the afternoon because too much comes up that demands attention. So this is just about noticing what supports the state of mind you'd like to maintain. And so, of course, a key to this practice, skillful practice, is to cultivate and maintain an overall stance of gentle curiosity, discovery, kindness to yourself, patience with all of this. Make it, you know, feel fun or interesting and allow it to take time. If you allow it to take time and you're curious about it, then when, you know, when you fall into an unwholesome state and you catch it because you're curious about it, that is a pathway towards release from it into a wholesome state. And instead of being very grim and, you know, about practice, you might find some lightness or some uh, enjoyment in it. So remembering to be kind and compassionate to yourself and remembering your allies of awareness of the states, appreciation of them, enjoying them, coming back to them again and again. <laughs> this is this is kind of what we're about here. So, um, 